This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, at the top of the hour, we'll get back on the Ottawa Senators drama page, the uh, the soap opera that continues in the nation's capital. Meanwhile, the nation's capital with our friends south of the border, Washington, we find a Backstromless Capitals announcing yesterday he is stepping away uh, from the team. Here for comments on what happens next with Backstrom and the Washington Capitals, someone who's been there to document all of the career of Nicholas Backstrom. Uh, he's one of our favorites. He's Tarek Al-Bashir. You read and see and watch and listen to him everywhere. He is such a bright star in the hockey media sky, whether it's Monumental Sports, NHL on TNT, NHL Network, the great Tarek Al-Bashir. And to think, I knew you then when Ovechkin's career started with the Caps. What's up, Tarek? How you doing, pal? And that was very kind of you to say, Jeff. I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, how much of this, uh, the, the Backstrom news yesterday, was a surprise to you? I mean, like, as I mentioned in the opening, you've been there and, you know, you've documented, you know, every inch of, of Backstrom's career going back to, uh, to the draft in, in Vancouver. Um, how much of yesterday was a surprise to you? It was a surprise um, that, that maybe from a, a timing standpoint, but you could see things tracking in this direction, unfortunately. Um, you know, he started the season on Alex Ovechkin's line, the first line here in D.C. He slid down to the second line and then the third line, and then he came off the first unit power play. And, and the first yeah. real indication, and I didn't pick up on it um, uh, until after the fact, but in Monday's practice, he began splitting or platooning with young Connor McMichael at third line center. And I thought to myself, huh, that looks a little odd, but maybe they're just trying to keep Connor sharp because they want him to eventually become a center. Okay. We'll see where this goes. Well, as it turns out, I think you can now draw a straight line between what happened there on Monday and his decision to step away. I mean, this is, this is me saying this. I I haven't heard this, but he probably could see the writing on the wall Mm -hmm. And probably said, you know what? I I, I don't want to be a scratch. I I'm too you know, I've been too good a player in this league. Yeah. I, I get it. I I can't keep up anymore. Let me take a break. Let me focus on my body. My hip hasn't responded the way I had hoped it would. Let me see if I can find other avenues to perhaps get back to this game. The um, not that I'm wrapping up the career here, although it sounds like I kind of am, and maybe I should actually. But um, the most well, one yeah. of the most underrated superstars of, of this generation. I look at that 2006 draft, and he's number one in points, and we don't talk about it. And he's never in the conversation, you know, back when he was in his prime for the Selkie Trophy. I know it's tough to get a headline in Washington with number eight there. I know it's tough to walk out from uh, behind the shadow uh, of Alex Ovechkin, but but one of the most underrated superstars this game saw in that generation? I would 100% agree with that. And, you know, I, like, like you said in the open, I, I've seen almost all of his games um, in person. And, you know, the, the vision was, was always, you know, top five in the, in the league. Um, and I do agree that he was always overshadowed by Alex Ovechkin, but, the the best explanation that I ever heard of what made Nicholas Backstrom so special came from Barry Trotz. And Barry Trotz told me one day, we were kind of just chatting off to the side. I don't think it was even with cameras rolling or recorders rolling. And he said, I've never coached a player whose panic circle was as tight as Nicholas Backstrom's. He said, you know, you look at a fourth line player, their panic circle extends out five, six feet. When an opposing player gets within five, six feet with his body, with his stick, they throw the puck away. Or they start turning and they start looking to create space. You know, then you get to a second-line player who's pretty good. That panic circle's tighter, maybe three feet. Nicholas Backstrom, he said, the panic circle almost doesn't exist <laughs> because he's so, he's so patient and so crafty that the player, the defender, yeah. can be actually on top of him and would, you know, can, could, could, hear, could smell his breath, and he, was, and he would still just – Casually and slowly, turn his side, protect the puck, use the use the wall, use use something else to to keep protecting the puck, and then he would see Alex out of the corner of his eye, and he would deliver like a sixty or seven foot seventy foot pass through traffic, bam, goal. 
And so the panic circle yeah. was something I had never heard, but I've never forgotten because ever since it was explained to me that way, Jeff, that's all I see now when I see yeah. those elite players who just hang on to the puck until the last possible seconds. Just drawing defenders in, just opening up space everywhere. Yep. I mean, Gretzky yep. was the king. Um, Pavel Datsuk was elite at that. Uh, Alex Kovalev um, had ice yeah. water running yeah. through his veins, and that that there's those those are the three that jump to mind as far as panic circle goes. Like they will have it Pavel tight, and it's for no sure. problem. Yes. I got. I, that, I got this under control. So with um, with no Nick Backstrom, and you can make the argument that we haven't really seen the Nick Backstrom this season, uh, with no Nick Backstrom, that affords the Washington Capitals the luxury of doing some things um, with, uh, with, with Backstrom going on LTIR. What do they plan to do with this new space? That, that's the next step here. Uh, it sounds like Backstrom is going to begin on IR. Eventually, it sounds, from what I'm hearing, he'll, he'll revert to LTI. And once he goes on that, then, of course, they'll have several million dollars in cap space. Right now, they're up yeah. against it. Like, they don't have a single penny. Like, they have to make some, some paper moves to even call, call up a, a, a goalie if someone gets sick, as we saw a few weeks ago with Charlie Lindgren uh, getting a little dinged up. Um, yeah. I would say, I would say, and, and General Manager Brian McClellan is going to be speaking to the media relatively soon. It hasn't happened yet. He's had some things come up, but he, he usually gives you a pre, gives you the straight dope. He tells you what what's going to happen. Yep. So I'm kind of waiting on that. But I, but I would say, Jeff, they kind of want to see what happens here, or at least if I were running this team, I would want to see what happens here between now and. Let's say Thanksgiving. You know, get, get me another three or four weeks. This has been a team that probably wasn't as bad as their as their their really bad start. Um, has won three games in a row. Has started to kind of find its game under Spencer Carberry. Um, uh, the Stars are starting to find their game once again. I, I would want to see what direction the team takes me here over the next few weeks before I decide to add, because they're in this precarious spot, right? That they want to get, they want to win. They want to get Alex Ovechkin as many goals as they can to get him closer, ever closer to Wayne Gretzky. But at the same time, they can no longer, they can no longer pretend that a rebuild is, is, isn't on the horizon. They can't, they can't, Mm-hmm. Right now, go, yeah, you know what, that second and third round pick, if we can go get a depth defenseman, like that can't be what they're thinking. So with, with all of that space, <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to, again, if I were running the team, I'd want to see in the next four weeks, are you hanging around the seventh or eighth spot? Do you look like a team that needs me to go get a player that can, that can go add some salary here way ahead of the deadline to give us that push that can maybe bolt, you know, bump up, bump, bump us up into fifth or sixth or, or, you know, uh, can, can mm-hmm. solidify a spot at seven or eight, but it, you know, if they're still scuffling towards the bottom, I mean, I don't know if you want to commit to trading for a player who has term or a lot of money. If, if he's an older player, I, I mean, you know there aren't there aren't very many twenty five year old centers or or right wings and those are the two positions that I would be, will be thinking about thinking about that are available via trade right now um, uh, that would make a lot of sense for the Capitals. Um, it, it'd probably be an older player, but you got to prove to me if I'm the manager, you got to prove to me that you deserve that help. Could I then perhaps, if you were Brian McClellan, intra, interest you in another Swedish center? He's not 25, but he's 28. He's not a left-hand shot. He's a right-hand shot, and he's on an expiring deal and currently plying his trade with the Calgary Flames. Could I interest you in an Elias Lindholm, sir? <laughs> Well, let me tell you something about Elias Lindholm. I don't have his stats <laughs> right in front of me, but he is a certified Washington Capitals killer. Every time I have covered that cat since <laughs> since since he's been in the league, I feel like he's either yeah. he's either running up three or four points. It's crazy. Like his, his the number of points he has yeah. against. I bet he I bet he has had more points against the Capitals than any other Eastern Conference team. So, interesting. Maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, what's he, 28, 29 now? 28. Um, 28. 
28. Uh, so to me, that's still that's still in your prime. That, that, that's not a young player, but that's not yeah. an older player. I, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it also, but, but, you know, again, Jeff, we're talking about taking on salary because now, you you know, in theory, if, if Backstrom eventually ends up on LTI, you'll have some money to play with. Then the question becomes how much draft capital – how many young players? If you got, if you're looking at a, re, a potential rebuild a year or two, how much are you willing to give up to get that player? Now, if you can trade a, Trump, yep. a, a problematic contract, okay, and throw in a draft pick, okay, all right, uh, maybe we're talking. But if you're asking for a top prospect and you know and a high pick, I I, I don't know if I'm in that game. Okay, let me uh, let me. Uh, I know you're up against it. Let me uh, let me ask you another quick one here with um, with Backstrom exiting. Who becomes more important here, Dylan Strom or Yevgeny Kuznetsov? Well, Dylan Strom has been everything that the Capitals could have hoped for and, and potentially more. It's funny, his, his stat line right now, the, the joke in Washington is they call him Cy Young because he's got six goals yeah. and no assists. He's 6-0, <laughs> and oh, right? So, um, which is crazy because he's known as a playmaker and he's he's been their sniper. Um, I mean, but at the yeah. same time, he has had – he leads the team in, in slot passes. So – Guys just aren't finishing as fast as he, he, those. The points will come. To me, it's Evgeny Kuznetsov. When this team has made playoff runs, when they won the Stanley Cup, when they are a good team, Evgeny oh, Kuznetsov yeah. is one of their best and almost a dominant player. He's in the upper 70s at the end of the regular season in points. Last year was a disappointing year. The year before that was a good year. The year before, so it, it's almost like every other year is a good year for him. So if last year was a bad year, this year is going to be a good year. And, and you, you know, he's been good. He hasn't been great. He's 31 years old now. He, you know, he, he's, he's on the other side of 30. But I feel like he's been good. He's yeah. been engaged. He's looked to this point through eight games, like a guy who might have a good season this year. If this team is going to get anywhere, he's got to yeah. be one of the best players. Because Alex Ovechkin is, you know, he, he isn't the dominant player that he used to be. We've seen that now. Uh, TJ Oshie, same deal. You, you need other people to bring their level up. Dylan Strom has already done it. John Carlson has got off to a pretty strong start. Um, goaltender uh, uh, Darcy Kemper is starting to find his game. Um Yep. But you need probably two other guys to kind of really take their game to the next level. And Kuzi is always is always that X factor for me. Every year when they're good, it's because Kuzi had a good year. Listen, uh, that's great stuff, uh, as always. Tarek, thanks so much uh, for sharing your expertise uh, and speculation on swapping out one Swedish center for another. That's always a lot of fun. <laughs> Uh, you be well. I know the, all, all of your days are busy, and today's no different. Thanks so much for uh, for parking some time with me today. I really appreciate it, pal. Hey, hey Jeff, give me a call anytime. There he is, the great Tarek Al-Bashir, uh, Capitals insider for Monumental Sports, ringside reporter for the NHL on TNT and correspondent for the NHL Network. Let's bring in Maddie Marchese here. Maddie, before we get to your uh, your game of the night, and there's a number to choose from. It's a really busy Thursday around the NHL. Uh, tonight, the Washington Capitals are facing off against the New York Islanders. Uh, whenever I think of these two teams mixing, I always think of the Easter Epic. Uh, shout out Kelly Rudy, who may be listening right now in Calgary. Um, what's uh, When you look at the Washington Capitals right now, like I, I always thought, that Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom were going to coordinate it so their contracts ex- like that was I think that was always the plan that their contracts expired at the same time and then when they rode off into the sunsets um, that they would do it at the exact same time. Clearly, that is not going to happen. Um, but do you have a quick thought on the uh, on the Caps here before we get to your game of the night? Yeah, it was much like last year. You know, you look at their roster and you say, well, it's a it's a flawed roster, and they they don't have that high end elite young talent on the team that I think a lot of teams, you know, they have and they they can you know move forward. I understand what they're doing with keeping you know a, a veteran roster around Alex Ovechkin. I understand that, and and they're also a team that. Let's face it. They didn't pick very high in the draft very often, Jeff, because they were really good for a long time. So, so they're they're in a transition period. Um, it does. It's not really a destination for free agents. I know it certainly wasn't before Alex Ovechkin got there, but it feels like it's kind of turning into that again. They're they they've had their cap issues, so I just don't see an I don't see a, a positive end in sight here outside of Alex Ovechkin breaking 
Wayne Gretzky's record in a Washington Capitals uniform, I just don't see I don't see where the light is at the end of the tunnel here. No, they're just going to keep this train going until he gets the record. Yeah. Like, I'm curious about the morning after. The morning after Ovechkin breaks the record, what happens to the Washington Capitals? Everybody goes. What are the decisions? <laughs> okay, Ovechkin, yeah, and, and now we're like, okay, here we go, loading up on the uh, on amateur scouts and uh, uh, accruing uh, draft capital as often as we can. It's all about young players and everything must go. I am really curious about the, the morning after Alex Ovechkin breaks the record. I'm already past the eight. Will he break it? I think we all are at this point. Although, when we see another slow start here, you know, Dylan Strom has four more goals than Alex Ovechkin does. Uh, I'm not going to hot take this one here on a, on a Thursday afternoon and say that oh, come on. people have made that mistake before. No, I'm not going to do it, Maddie. Not going to do it. Not doing hot take radio for you here today. So, um, but I, I think it's it's safe to say that we all know that the Capitals are going to pull out all stops to make sure that Ovechkin gets this record. Mm-hmm. Not that that's the entire sole purpose of the roster construction right now, but Maddie, it's pretty close to it. Um, as a thank you to the guy who you know had the nerve to fill the building 588 times. Uh, before the sellout streak was broken. Okay, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Bet Local. A number to choose from this evening. What is uh, tickling you under the chin, Matt Marquis? Uh, that would be Stars at Oilers. I love this matchup. Uh, historically, they've had some really good games. And I think both teams, I mean, these are two teams that we expected would be uh, in and around the Stanley Cup final this year. Puck line is minus one and a half. Edmonton, the favorite is 33 and 16 in the last 49 meetings. The Stars are 62, 30 and one in the last 93 meetings. And the over is four and one in the last five. So Dallas coming out, this is back to back for Dallas, uh, mm-hmm. beat the Calgary Flames in a really tough game, by the way. Like they didn't, you know, the, the the Calgary Flames didn't quit on that game at all last night. 46 pucks towards Jake Ottinger yesterday. Um, Dallas had to earn that one against the Calgary Flames. Uh, interesting with the Edmonton Oilers here because they're coming off a huge win, uh, the return of Connor McDavid, Heritage Classic, Sunday late afternoon. Um, that we all saw, and we've talked a lot about what that's meant for the Calgary Flames. But curious now, now we're going to find out what this starts to mean for the Edmonton Oilers. And I think everybody is crossing their fingers in oil country, thinking that that's the the restart, you know, the recharge for this team, and you know, the the big reset. Now here come the Oilers. We thought we were going to see to kick off the season. I think uh, you know the obvious statement is starting tonight. We're going to see whether the Edmonton Oilers have ended the drought. And are turning the page and are going to start to climb the standings or, to use a financial term, maybe that was just the dead cat bounce. We shall see. Starting tonight, the Oilers facing off against the Dallas Stars. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. The local story in Ottawa is a fascinating one and there are many tentacles to it. Whether it's GM, whether it's owner, whether it's suspended player, Jason York stops by for an analysis of what's going on in the nation's capital in Canada next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. We'll, uh, we're going to talk about the San Jose Sharks at the bottom of the hour. The winless San Jose Sharks. Are they following the plan? What's the old saying? Sam Kennison, the late great comedian, would always say, Listen, if you're going to miss heaven, don't miss it by two inches. San Jose Sharks are doing anything but missing heaven by two inches. As we've said before, there's a uh, <laughs> there's a reward for being on top. There's a reward for being on the bottom. There's no reward for being in between. 
at all. So we'll get on the San Jose Sharks page here uh, coming up at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, back to uh, the lead story of the day, which was the lead story of yesterday, which seems to kind of be the lead story, depending on which story you want to pick, all season long. And we're talking about the Ottawa market. We're talking about the Ottawa Senators. And we're talking about the owner, Michael Andlauer. We're talking about the interim general manager, Steve Steos. We're talking about the exiting general manager, Pierre Dorian. We're talking about the return of Daniel Alfredson. We're talking about suspended player, Shane Pinto, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we're doing it all with the man we lovingly and affectionately call the York Chop, the one and only Jason York. How are you, pal? Hey, Jeff. I'm great. By the way, I love that Sam Kennison drop. And how about... Michael Adlauer, yeah. How about Michael? Like, just to talk about Sam Kennison, loved him in Rodney Dangerfield, back to school. His yes. Press co- yes. His press, co- his press conference yesterday, he had full right. He had full right to go off and pull a Sam Kennison. Like when you when you're oh, really I know. looking at the, I, I, right, Jeff. When you look at the chain of events that have happened to him since he's lost the team, like he oh, yeah. he had, he he's been handling things pretty well. Say it, say it. So I was waiting for them to pull the table out as well and, and chuck it. Oh, that was good. Oh, I'll keep my eyes on you. That was good. We just, we just did it. Um, yeah, I, I know, right? The old back, back to school, uh, Rodney Dangerfield movie. Uh, triple Lundy, the triple, the triple, the triple. The tr- that's right, and and who's pulling that off in Ottawa these days? Well, I'll tell you what, there is. If you didn't know Michael and Lauer before, if you're a, a hockey fan uh, who you know may have an idea of who owns these teams, maybe you've heard you know one or two of the owners' names, but basically you just follow the game itself. Uh, yesterday, that was Michael and Lauer essentially announcing to everybody in the NHL, every single fan. This is me, and this is how I feel about what's happening to my organization. Uh, before I sort of drill down on, on a couple of things here, and I do want to park some time. I didn't get a chance with Elliot in the first hour, Jason, to talk about Daniel Alfredson's presence here. Uh, so I do want to do that with you in a second. But what, what did you take away from yesterday? Like, I was, I think we were all stunned. Like, we don't hear, never mind, uh, older owners or you know owners that have been around for a couple of decades we don't hear new owners talk about this like i know technically he was you know minority owner of the montreal canadians but generally when you buy a team it's your job to do two things shut up and like it not so much michael andlauer <laughs> shut up and take it yeah well i think he's got jeff i think he's got every right to and listen, the people were saying, is he going to get fined? And I said, absolutely not. Like I said, if you look at the chain of events, number one, when the bidding process for this team was going on, like, I don't know, some of those teams that were being coming in, were they brought in to kind of up the ante? It sure felt like that to me, didn't it? Um, eventually goes for $950 million. Yeah. Okay, then he comes in and... Full marks. He hits it out of the park on his press conference, hitting all the right boxes. He says, I'm going to give Pierre Dorian a chance, give everybody a chance. Um, and then all of a sudden, you get blindsided by the Shane Pinto thing, which you come in, you're like, okay, didn't know about that one. Let's handle it. And then all of a sudden, you hear the rumors, and then you're slapped with losing a first-round pick within the first month and a half of owning your new franchise. And make no mistake here, I know you know Michael Adlauer. He's a hockey guy. Like, first and foremost, he's buying this team because he wants to win a Stanley Cup. And part of winning a Stanley yeah. Cup is you, is you need your first-rounders. So I, I think he handled himself extremely well, showed the passion. And it's kind of an us-against-the-world mentality now in Ottawa. It's like, all right, you're going to screw us over? We'll show you. So I'm not surprised. People in Ottawa here, Jeff, I'll tell you, they love the guy. Like they love the guy. He's come in, and oh. one of his okay, Jeff, one of his one of his best lines so far, and this this was pure gold. He came in and said that this team belongs to the city. I will do my best, and it was a great line. I will do my best to make sure. I I don't know the exact words, but I will take care of this franchise for you. Is kind of a gist of it, but just just he's, he's been saying all the right things, and the people here in Ottawa love him. 
Wasn't that the uh, the theme from the Miami from the old Miami Vice show? You belong to the city. The old Glenn, Glenn Fry song. If oh. we want to date ourselves here now, you're oh, kid. Go back to 1985. You're gonna get me singing. Okay. You're gonna get so, me singing. It's a great song, right? For the tenor sax uh, opening to. Oh, it's a great song. Okay, so, so let me um let me let me let me bring something up here because I'm I'm glad you mentioned the uh, you know Ottawa versus everybody motif. Like that was something that Ryan Reynolds during the the bidding process was was really trying to get going. And I'll be honest with you, at the end of the press conference yesterday, one of the things that, that went through my mind was, okay, the same chain of events would have happened regardless of who owned this thing. And my thought was, how would Ryan Reynolds have handled that press conference? Or would we have even seen Ryan Reynolds at that press conference? Because I think you're right. Um, like that was Michael and Lauer, the hockey guy talking. And I knew, you know, I've, I've known Ann Lauer going back to, to junior hockey, spent some time with him uh, in Regina yeah. at the Memorial Cup when his Hamilton Bulldogs were there. Uh, spent some, actually, Elliot and I spent a lot of time with him uh, about a year ago when we were doing our, um, we were doing our tour. Uh, he came down and was uh, him and Steve Steos were uh, guests when we did our stop in Hamilton. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm listening to this yesterday and I'm saying like, okay, that's the Michael Ann Lauer that I know. Because I've heard him talk about his hockey teams like yeah. that before. Did does any part of you look at yesterday and say, okay, like that's a really good response for this market. That's a really good response for Ottawa Senators fans. That's a get them fired up moment if I'm an Ottawa Senators fan. Did any part of you wonder, okay, if, if the Reynolds group were successful here, would Ryan Reynolds, A, even be there for that <laughs> press conference? And B, what would Ryan Reynolds have done in this situation? <laughs> Make a movie about it? I don't know. <laughs> like, Maybe. Yeah, um, cameras have been rolling. I don't know Ryan Reynolds. Everybody loves him, but the right the right person got this. <laughs> you saw yesterday, and if anybody had any doubts, concerns, the right person got this hockey team at the end of the day. That's what happened. The guy that is going to do. And here's the thing in Ottawa. In Ottawa, sure, Ryan Reynolds buys a team. You do a movie. Everybody's happy. At the end of the day, it's about winning. In a Canadian market, you have to win. And the guy here right now, Michael Adlauer, has the best chance of making that happen. He's going to pull all his resources. You saw he, they announced Matt Nickel the other day coming in. So slowly but surely, yeah. yep. he's, bringing in, he's bringing in all his people, and he's going to surround the players with what they need to win. So, no, I, I don't think Ryan Reynolds – who knows what Ryan Reynolds would have done. But I, people know now that this is, this is now – Michael Adler's most important asset in his life, and this is his baby. And you yeah. know, you know, you know how people get when people do bad things to their kids, right? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I, I, I think it, I think it, yeah. it makes Ottawa, it makes Ottawa feel really good. Because I'll tell you something here in Ottawa, when you watch a Sens game, and for example, they're not talking about the Sens during the intermission, people get pissed. <laughs> you know, when you're on the panel, um, like there, there's a little bit of, hey, what are you talking about the Leafs for? It's a Senators game. What are you talking about? Like, people here are very passionate yeah. hockey fans. It's been a long time since this team has seen the playoffs. And uh, yeah. now I'm, he's really endeared himself to the people here in Ottawa so far, I can tell you that. So, uh, what do you think this situation means then for the Toronto Maple Leafs? No, I'm kidding. There, Jason. I thought so. They were going to get a little, little, little rise out of you. Um, okay. So, what does this mean then for Daniel Alfredson? Like, I think a lot of eyebrows were raised uh, a couple of weeks ago when Daniel Alfredson, poof, magically appears on the ice with Ottawa Senators players. Like, first of all, it's a wonderful day. It's great to see Alfredson on the ice with the team uh, and just around the team where Daniel Alfredson belongs. We all know about the acrimony between um, the Melnick camp regime, whatever you want to call it, administration, and Daniel Alfredson. Um, mm -hmm. But now he's back. Uh, the business card doesn't have anything on it other than Daniel Alfredson's name, right now um now that the like i i wondered about this right away as I, I said on on the air here i wonder if alfredson waits to see how everything settles before he settles or decides on what he wants to do with this organization uh it seems as if now and again steos is in an interim capacity i'll talk to you about gms in a second does it now mm -hmm. seem as if you know things are becoming more clear here so we may get a sharpening of the pencil on what Alfredson's business card is going to say. I think I, I think that's going to take a little bit of time because I 
I think with Daniel, uh, and Daniel and I are friends, he's trying to kind of figure out what it is he wants to do. And I know one thing, he loves to be involved with the players. He loves to go on the ice. He's got such yeah. a good eye for he's got such a good eye for the game, Jeff. And I think in hockey in general, roles are really evolving of of titles. Like, what does a title mean? Look at Pittsburgh, for example. Uh, who's the GM? Well, it's Kyle Dubas, but he's not the GM under his title, right? He's the director of hockey ops. So for Daniel, I, I could see him in a role where it's he gets to help out on the player development side, but he's also helping uh, with the NHL players. He's also an advisor to the general manager because there's just so much, he's got so much knowledge. He's got a great feel for the game. Um, I just think that's going to play out. And now with this move, I think he'll be a little bit busier. <laughs> like there's a, there's a, there's an empty seat there, but I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, like you're talking about a general manager. I don't see that because I just think he has mm-hmm. so much to offer as far as helping on the ice. So I see it kind of as a hybrid role to tell you the truth. Maybe a role that doesn't quite exist in the NHL right now, but you know, players are so different, yeah. so much different now, Jeff. You know as well as I do. You, you got to talk to them more. You, it, it's nice to have that conduit between the players and the front office. Yeah. So I, I, I could see some kind of hybrid role where he's doing various, various jobs, but at a, at a, you know, at a, at a senior position with the team. So right now, um, Steve Steos uh, is in this job temporarily until they find the full-time general manager. Um, I believe that one of maybe the preferred candidate would be Matthew Darsh, um, who went through the interview process with the Montreal Canadiens. Ken Hughes got the job. Daniel Briere was a finalist with Darsh as well. Uh, Michael and Laura would have been part of that process. Uh, with the Montreal Canadiens and so has an understanding of uh, who Darsh is and and what he brings. Uh, I would imagine that uh, they would be looking primarily, although not exclusively, um, for a bilingual general manager, knowing how important um, cross-border business is for the Ottawa Senators. To me, a lot of the roads here lead to Matthew Darsh. Is there anyone else you think we we should keep on the radar through all of this. Like I, I always wonder about like Eric Tulski in, in Carolina. He's gonna be a GM one day. But to me this one this one, you know, the yellow brick road kinda leads right to Tampa here for me. What do you think of that? No, I, I, I think there's a lot of uh, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. And I don't have any insider knowledge on this, but when you bring up a name like Matthew Darsh, I know he's got a great resume, he's an up and coming guy, he's a younger guy. And the point you made, and I do think this is important, uh, they want to engage more fans here in, uh, from the Quebec side because anyone that's ever been to Ottawa, you, it, it's a hop, skip, and a jump across. And there's no board across. You, you're, you're here in five, ten minutes. And the rink will eventually end up downtown. That's going to happen. And when that does happen, it's yeah. going to be even more, more important to fill that building for concerts, venues, hockey games, to have, to have people from Quebec, Quebec coming over. So, yeah, I, I think that does hold a lot of uh, validation, but I'm I'm hearing all kinds of names. I've heard Peter Shirley's name floated out there, who's a local guy yep. from Ottawa, went to Harvard, won a couple of Boston. Everybody knows Peter's story. Um, so I hear those two names the most, Jeff. Besides that, um, I haven't really heard a lot of other names, but those are the two guys that keep coming up and anytime I talk to somebody. Interesting. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where this one leads, but uh, to your point, uh, it has been uh, open the floodgates when it comes to stories and drama and soap operas. And yesterday's press conference was just awesome. Uh, it was just fantastic. From like from 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 the, the little perch that I have in this industry, it was it was great, Yorkie. It was it was awesome, and they actually kept it going after as well. So you could see, like you know, in this business, they say hot mic, hot mic. Careful what you say. And uh, the mic, the, the mic, that's one thing I learned during live television. Hot mic, watch what you say. But uh, yeah. uh, he, he handled it brilliantly. Um, and uh, I'll say this about the, the current state of the Ottawa Senators: it's only going one way from here. I don't think uh, I don't think there's any more bombs coming, at least not in the near future. So uh, I think it's happier mm. days ahead for, for this franchise for sure. No, nah, we don't want a quiet one. Nice and loud. We want 32 loud markets here. We're in media now, York Chop. We need it nice and loud. Um, this great, great stuff, pal. Uh, always good catching up. You be good. Thanks a lot for sharing your insight. Really appreciate it. Anytime, my friend. 
There he is, the great York Chop, Jason York, uh, who stops by the program on a regular basis, uh, normally when things revolve around the Ottawa Senators. Matty Marchese has, quote, got something. What's up, Matty? I do. Um, this one from uh, Penn's Inside Scoop. That's uh, Michelle Cricciolo, the team reporter for the Penguins. Um, players, yep. including Eric Carlson, Marcus Pedersen, Lars Eller, Ryan Graves, are wearing neck guards at practice today. I didn't hear one name there. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Oh, okay. Sorry. Eric Carlson, uh, Pedersen. No, 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 no. You're not, no, you're not getting one of the, there's one name that I didn't oh, hear. Oh yeah. That could be a Pied Piper for all of this. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. Do you want well, me to we'll say see. it? Like, I, I think that there'll, I, I think the, uh, Sidney Crosby, <laughs> I, I, I think there'll be more. I do too. Right. No, Brian Rust, Jeff Carter, where's his neck guard? Um, I uh, th- th- there's a number of organizations. I mean, the Penguins are trying to lead the charge with this one, uh, with their minor league teams, both in the American Hockey League and the ECHL. We see Providence uh, Bruins uh, doing something significant as well. The announcement yesterday with the Western Hockey League uh, that they will now mandate neck guards um, for their for their players. Um, I mean, I, I think it's. All the momentum is heading this direction. Like the uh, the the hockey world changed. Like just like the hockey world changed after Bill Masterton passed away uh, in a North Stars Los Angeles Kings game after getting hit. Um, the the hockey world changed uh, with that, and the hockey world now has changed uh, with the passing of Adam Johnson from a, from a, from a skate to the throat. Uh, the NHL has had a couple of uh, close calls with Richard Zednek, certainly Clint Malarchuk as well. Uh, we've seen wrists and hands and arms and ankles all slashed before, but nothing the likes of which we saw in the game between Nottingham and Sheffield on the weekend. So everything is different. I think players, will, I think some players will try it at practice. I think uh, a lot of guys will, as they say, will experiment with it, whatever that means. I'm going to put it on and see if I like it and then make my decision. Um, but I keep swinging back to there's a lot of people that are involved um, in this conversation, but the the ones that we're not hearing from are the people that actually watch the game. And again, like I'll I'll reemphasize, Maddie, uh, I watched the video and it's it's awful. You know, the majority of us have all now seen the video, whether it you you wanted to voluntarily or it just got tweeted into your timeline. Um, which has happened for uh, for a lot of people. Um, a lot of people, like the majority of us, have all seen it, and it's burned into our memories forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the one thing that needs to be part of this conversation is nobody wants to see this. Nobody wants to see anything like this. And people on the weekend, I got you know a lot of DMs from people that were at the game, like sending me sending me notes that the night that it happened, I was at the game, and this is what just happened, and I can't, I don't know how I'm going to be able to process this. Did we just see someone die on the ice? I hope he's okay, etc. And then we find out the next morning that Adam Johnson passed away. So much like right away they put up nets after Brittany Cecil passed away in that Columbus Blue Jackets game at, at Nationwide. I, Again, it's player's decision at this point until there's a negotiation between the NHL and the Players Association. They come to some type of agreement or arrangement. Maybe you make it mandatory. Maybe a grandfather it in. Who knows? But the hockey world has changed. Does it surprise me at all that some teams are trying it in practice? Nope. Does it surprise me that it's the Pittsburgh Penguins, considering that's where Adam Johnson played in the NHL? Nope. I just hope for players' safety sakes and their families and the fans that have the nerve to buy tickets and watch hockey games that everybody really has a good think about this and at least tries it to see if you can to see if you can wear it, yeah, which t- sounds ridiculous because a lot of people grow up wearing them to begin with. Uh, Anyhow, Tom Wilson, Tom that's, Wilson that's, that's also wore one in practice, Penguins. and he said, I didn't really notice a difference, so he'll decide whether he wants to wear it in a game. Uh, and it looks like Rasmus Dahlin Do actually it. tried to wear it in a game last night and then eventually took it off. So it's you're right. It is coming. Um, this feels like a no-brainer, Jeff. Um, it, not a feel. It is a no-brainer. Uh, whether it happens grandfathered in or they somehow make it mandatory for everyone uh, remains to be seen, of course. 
Um, do you have a theory on the, uh, I, I put it out on Twitter and it's really taken on a whole new life of its own. And now all of a sudden, uh, people tweeting at me about, uh, William Nylander being Canadian because he was born in Calgary, mm-hmm. uh, top 10 scores in the NHL, none of which are Canadian, despite the fact that William Nylander was born in Canada, which I, I guess I missed all the times that he played for team Canada. I must like have Peter Nedved. I didn't know that those yellow trade, those yellow trade corner jerseys were, were Canadian jerseys. Mm-hmm. I had no idea, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> is it just a, a fluke here? Is it just a McDavid injury? Um, John Tavares, Mason McTavish, you're our only hope for a top 10 placement in NHL points right now. Have a thought on this one, or is it just one of those goofy things that happens 10 games in? No Canadians in the top 10 and scorers amongst the NHL players. You know, the first thing that I thought of was, I got to see how many of these guys are in a contract year. That's what I was curious about. And it's not, it's two. <laughs> it's two. Uh, some of them are fresh off of getting a nice who new extension. Well, Nylander is in a contract, contract year. Uh, Pedersen's in a contract year. Uh, but Hughes just got yeah. his deal. Larkin just got his deal. Pasternak just got his deal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a mishmash of, of everything. You know, I, not to get too uh, all about international hockey and, and hopefully we get to see, you know, the best players in the world all play in the Olympics and all of that good stuff. But yeah. I, I almost tweeted this out a couple of months ago when I was looking at all the great American players that are out there right now. And I said, if you think that Canada is really, really good, uh, I dare you to look at what the American roster looks like, because especially in net Jeff. Wow. I don't know. I, know, I mean, I know, it's I a big Canada may have the fifth best goaltending. La, 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 yeah, la, la, I know. La, la, that's what everybody's going to do. You, Maddie. La, la, la. <laughs> I'm just trying to be a realist, Jeff. That's why you no, bring you, me on. You know what I mean? You just truthing on me here, Matty. Yeah. Just throwing truth bomb after truth bomb. You're listen. Uh, I think the, I think the one sane thing that we can do here is pause all talk about international hockey and the NHL should just focus on the league and don't <laughs> worry about the Olympics. And don't worry about world cup, park all those things. The Stanley cup is the most important thing. Don't worry about Olympic gold and world cup. And no, 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 we don't need any of that anymore. Now that there's, no Canadians. I, I, I like. I, listen, I like looking at these things, Jeff, um, because I think that it's always it can always be fun. But the American top three centers of Jack Hughes, Austin Matthews, and Jack Eichel is pretty darn good. There's a guy in Detroit that's pretty good too, Maddie. Let's not leave sure. him out of the conversation. Sure is. I mean, yeah, it's. I, 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 man, I yearn for international, you know, I always, and you've seen enough international hockey yourself. I just look back and I say like some of the, I I remember the 96 world cup, Jeff, like I was only seven. So good. It was was, amazing. I was watching it in Myrtle beach of all places, Jeff. And I remember it vividly. Yeah. We were on a family vacation and no family vacation is. Uh, done without hockey so yeah it was great I remember that and it was awesome I'm glad you brought that up now that doesn't get and I think a lot of it is just because if I may be blunt Canadian arrogance about tournaments that uh, that that we win Um, 1987 was some of the best hockey we had ever seen I still maintain it's the best hockey I've I've ever seen Mm -hmm. Um, but then again I think about a lot of things about 1987 whether it's you know the Canada Cup whether it's the Easter Epic whether it's that great Stanley Cup final between the Philadelphia Flyers uh, and the Edmonton Oilers like there was so many great things about like to me 1987 was the best year in hockey that I've seen period so many great things happened. So many great things happened in 1987. Um, but that 96 tournament, as far as quality of hockey goes, it's right there. It was it's, nasty. It's, it, I think the quality of good. hockey was just, yes, it was just as good yeah. as 1987. Like the first one that had a profound effect on me, because I was too young for 72. 1976 Canada Cup had a real profound effect on me mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. You know, that really sort of made me more than just, because I grew up watching, you know, Maple Leafs and Buffalo Sabres games, <laughs> but that kind of made me a capital H hockey fan. Yeah. 1976, then Canada Cup. Um, but I'm with you. Like, 96 and 87, to me, as far as quality of play, they're on par. But we don't talk about 96 because Canada didn't win. 87, Canada won. Yeah. But the quality of hockey in 96, to me, was equal. It was fantastic. Yeah. I just, just great. I just remember, like, the nastiness is what kind of stood out to me. 
Like that was, it wasn't oh, yeah. like, it, it wasn't, I don't want to say it wasn't your typical international hockey because, well, it was a little bit grittier than your typical international hockey. And the hatred, I mean, listen, there has been feuds among countries that uh, Canada and the U.S. generally speaking get along. 69. Yeah, yeah, there's other there's other countries that didn't that had to play against each other. So um, that's why I just thought it was, wasn't typical of what we had seen in terms yeah. of like there were, a, it was a rough, it was a rough World Cup. And like the, you know, the U.S.-Canada final was just, it was great. It was awesome hockey. And you look back at some of the names that played in there, it was yeah. pretty special. It was awesome. Um, do you have a thought? And I, I, I think we're all sort of stunned that we're at this place right now, but good on Greg Cronin for getting the team there. Anaheim Ducks have won five games in a row. Sure again, have. Like another great installment of this Anaheim-Arizona rivalry. It's If, if you haven't watched when Arizona and Anaheim play, like you you got to watch. Like it's, it's fantastic. Uh, overtime last night, Troy Terry with the hat trick. Anaheim beats... Uh, the Arizona Coyotes, and now the Anaheim Ducks have won five games in a row, just as everybody predicted. Yeah, and they haven't even unleashed Leo Carlson to uh, uh, to completion yet. Like not it's full just, time. Yeah, we're just not, we're just waiting for time. that, and and that's going to be another. You know, when you look at the top two centers there, Mason McTavish is having a really good year, um, and then Leo Carlson is going to come up, and you know, you wonder where what's going to happen with Trevor Zegris, and he's certainly not a center right now, and there's lots of questions, but. It was always about just time with this group because they had the Jamie Drysdales, they had you know the the Terrys and the and the Zegerses, and then it was like okay, the next step is in this evolution is getting Mason McTavish into the lineup, and now Leo Carlson, and you can go down the list. Like uh, Minchikov has been really good. Like this is, it's a really yeah. good group, and credit to Greg Cronin because I don't think a lot of people had. I think this was going to be a, a a big kind of growing pains type year. There was going to be some improvement, but it wasn't going to be this this good this soon. And they're impressive. And and uh, uh, Lucas Dostal has been fantastic this year. Uh, John Gibson, who? Uh, so it, it, they're a really fun team to watch. The only problem is is that you got to stay up real late to watch them. That's the only problem. But they're good. They're fun. And you know it, it's funny too because when you look, nobody. With all due respect, so few teams rival their prospect depth chart. And, you know, you mentioned Pavel Minchikov, uh, Olin Zellweger may end yeah. up being the best of the bunch mm-hmm. uh, on the blue line as well. And an embarrassment of riches at every single position and coaching as well. Matt McIlvain uh, is someone to keep your eyes on. He coaches the San Diego, coaches the Gulls. There's another up and coming coach. Uh, rising star behind the bench. So as much as Greg Cronin is doing an incredible job right now with this with this Anaheim team, and we'll see how long it lasts. It's a fun story to kick off the season. Uh, there are many that think that you know the rising star behind the bench is Matt McIlvain. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Uh, in the meantime, you know who's not doing very well. Mm-hmm. Matty, and part of it is by design, and part of it is, well, I mean, injuries with Logan Couture, and part of it is there's not a good team. San Jose Sharks. Like, how bad can it get here in San Jose? Winless. O for October. Although they did drag a point out of it. Yay. Is this by design, though? Is this to get Macklin Celebrini back in teal? Uh, we're going to talk about the San Jose Sharks here in a couple of moments because this is getting really interesting. And here we are in November, and the San Jose Sharks are still looking for a win. Curtis Pashelka, um, who's a beat writer at Bay Area News Group, is going to stop by. What's going on in San Jose? How bad can it get? And can they turn it around? And do they want to turn things around? Pashelka next. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 8 and one San Jose Sharks face off against the Vancouver Canucks on a very busy Thursday night around the NHL. So what is happening with San Jose and is it by design? 
Curtis Pashalka joins me now, San Jose Sharks beat writer at Bay Area News Group. Curtis, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. You know the uh, the This Is Fine dog? I just found out that his name is Question Hound, okay? I wasn't sure that. When I, when, I, when I look at that picture, you know, the dog with the flames all around him and the cup of coffee, and this is fine. Uh, is that how San Jose is feeling about this? Like, is any of this sort of by design, like we knew we would be bad and this is fine to kick off the season? Or is there something else that the San Jose Sharks organization is feeling right now? Well, yeah, I mean, I thought I think they they, they knew that they were going to be, uh, you know, there would be a tough season for them, whether or not they thought 0-8-1 with nine goals scored in nine games. Just, I don't think it would, they thought it would be this bad. Um, but uh, you know, obviously they're in a situation. They've been pretty honest about it, about being in a in a rebuild and and uh, sort of a transition phase right now for them. So, uh, you know, for, from their perspective. You know, this is all kind of part of a, a plan that they hope to have in place here. And, you know, obviously, we, uh, you know, get some high draft picks, get some new players in here and hopefully build something sure. towards uh, long term here. So um, they're not uh, I mean, obviously, they're you talk to the players, you talk to the coaching staff. They still they still want to win games, but they're honest about where they are right now as an organization. You know, how many, uh, I would imagine often, how much are people talking about, you know, someone who, you know, played in the Junior Sharks program at a at his 14U level? Uh, how much are people talking about Macklin Celebrini right now around San Jose? Get him back yeah. to you. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. He's uh, he's part of the, uh, a guy who, who a lot of, you know, have a lot of obviously, local connections here. Not only did he play for the Junior Sharks, his dad, uh, works for the Golden State Warriors here, so that's why they were in the Bay Area to sort of begin with. And so it's kind of yeah. a, it almost be kind of kismet to sort of have it all kind of come uh, around and have uh, have him as part of the Sharks organization going forward. And you know, a lot of the same conversations were had a little bit last year too when it comes to Connor Bedard. I mean, what if you add him to this mix? Uh, you know, that was a very real possibility last year too. So. But you're right. I mean, to go through some pain right now, if you're going to wind up with a number one overall pick, that would certainly help things a little bit in terms of this, uh, in terms of this rebuild, and that gives gives uh, gives Sharks fans some some hope for the long term. Uh, they face off against the Vancouver Canucks later on this evening. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always, you know, wondered about with this edition of the San Jose Sharks, and, and maybe, Curtis, the answer is, well, rebuilds don't have to take as long as they used to take. Um, but Tomas Hurdle's decision to re-sign with the San Jose Sharks kind of struck me as a as a as an unusual one uh, to give it a soft landing. 29 years old, uh, chose to stay with uh, a rebuilding team through some of the prime years of his career. Uh, he won't hit you know unrestricted free agent status until 2030. Uh, I know the money is good, and maybe ultimately that's the answer, too. He was getting the best offer from San Jose. Do you have a clear sense of why Thomas Hurdle decided to stay in San Jose? Well, I think that long-term security certainly helps. You know, when you're you're presented with an offer uh, before you go to market, you know you're going to get. And, you know, obviously he spent his whole career here, too, so that's that's definitely part of it. I think when he thought he was going to sign here, I don't know if he necessarily envisioned that. That the organization would would change general managers and and enter sort of a, a longer type rebuild. I think from his perspective, he was thinking, okay, well, we've already missed the playoffs for two or three years in a row at that point. Maybe it's going to be another two or three years, but you know, we'll get there eventually. Whereas now, they don't know when the rebuild's going to end. It could be, it could be in three years. It could be in five years. So, you know, from his perspective, he was he was certainly hoping that the Sharks would be more competitive. Uh, at this point than, than they are and um, but uh, you know from that from from another perspective too he's he's a guy that the sharks from uh, want to sort of help try to build around at least they've got that tent pole to sort of go with for for the time being here so um, you know it's it's kind of an interesting situation for him we'll we'll see how it all develops over the years but I think for for now um, you know at least until the end of the season maybe you got a chance to to reassess things, and he maybe he goes to Mike Greer and says, "You know what? Maybe if there's a, if there's a way to to get me to another team, like, let's let's go ahead and do that." I know Mike Greer would be would be open to that, at least listening to that. Would that be in the best interest of the Sharks? Well, I'm not sure, but at least uh, at least that camp, that conversation can be had, uh, you know, next off season. I think. 
You know, the um, you know, one of one of the measuring sticks for futility in the NHL has always been the uh, the expansion Washington Capitals 74-75. So they they go through the entire season without winning a road game and I think it was I think it was early in March and they're playing at the Cow Palace. Uh, in Oakland, ironically enough, here close to the San Jose Sharks. Um, they're playing at the Cow Palace, and they finally win a road game, and the Capitals are ecstatic. They go back into the room. Tommy Williams, uh, who would have been the captain of the Washington Capitals, grabs a, a metal garbage can, uh, dumps the garbage out of it. They all go for a lap around the rink. Like all the guys come back out, they do a lap, and then they all sign their names on it, like it's their own version of the Stanley Cup. I think that wherever that garbage can is, I think that thing belongs in the Hall of Fame to have all those Capitals players and their names on the garbage can because they won their first road game of the season, and it wasn't until March that they did it. So that was one way to celebrate winning a game. When San Jose and they, the San Jose is going to win games. When San Jose finally wins a game at home on the road, wherever, what will the reaction be? And will it maybe just be relief that this losing streak is finally over? Yeah, I think it depends on whether or not they have an off day the next day or not, or you know, maybe it's a situation. Where, you know, if they if they, uh, if they if they win tonight, you know, maybe they don't work. Maybe they don't celebrate quite too much. But if they if they win Saturday and they got an off day Sunday, maybe they maybe they go out and, and toast it a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, we were just talking to David Quinn, and you know, he's trying to. Uh, merge sort of being optimistic with this group and keep keeping their spirits up while also being honest with them as far as where their games are at right now. Yeah. So, um, you know, we don't know um, when this thing's going to end, quite frankly. I mean, after after they play Pittsburgh, they got the Flyers and the Oilers next week. And, you know, those teams aren't necessarily walks in the park. I mean, no team is right now for the yeah. for the Sharks. But, um but uh, you know we'll we'll see. I'm sure once once this thing is off them and this albatross has been lifted around their neck, I'm sure they'll breathe a little easier and uh, maybe want to celebrate a little bit that too. And and then after that Edmonton game, it's Vegas, and there's no love lost between these two organizations, San Jose uh, and the <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights. Um, a, a couple of players that I'm curious about here on this on this roster. One is Mario Ferraro, who, as you well know, you're a way more clear, way closer to it, obviously, than I am. Is one of the most positive people in the NHL. Period. It's almost like Mario Ferraro has never had a bad day. Um, I think he's a you know a, a future captain, for example. Like I just think he has that makeup about him. People like being around him. A really positive guy. How is someone like Mario Ferraro handling all of this? Well, I think you just you just touched on it there. He's a guy who wants to try to keep the energy up in the room. You know, you, when he's been out of the lineup in the past, it's been noticeable because he's the one guy who has that sort of really outgoing uh, A-type personality where, you know, you know he's in the room, you know he's loud, he's got to keep the keep the conversation going. Well, other, other, otherwise, for this team, you know, it's kind of a quiet group for the most part. A lot of new faces, guys are maybe still trying to get to know each other yeah. a little bit. So, uh, so part of that, you know, he's a guy who, you know, he wears it on his sleeve, but I think he tries to come to the rink every day, win or lose with the same type of attitude, hope it rubs off on uh, some other guys here. So you're right. I do think he's going to be a future captain in this league, whether it's the, it's the Sharks or another organization. Uh, he's a guy that uh, you know, sort of just brings that positive energy or tries to anyway, uh, every time he, uh, every time he comes to the rink. So, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's an important part of this, this team for sure. What's the uh, what's the latest on Logan Couture? Well, he uh, he was skating a little bit last week while the Sharks were on the road, but I guess he had uh, David Quinn was saying he had a little bit of a setback in his in his recovery uh, from a lower body injury. So, really, is there is no timeline right now for him to even maybe get back on the ice and, and try to start skating again on a on a regular basis. So. Uh, indefinite is sort of the best uh, best way to say it. And, you know, Alexander Barabano is going to miss the mm-hmm. next three or four weeks or five weeks or so. So you're missing, that. you know, tops, yeah, two top six forwards uh, out of your group um, who are, uh, you know, going to rely on for offense here. So, you know, when it rains and pours for the Sharks right now and, and uh, tough time to yeah. miss your captain, tough time to miss uh, a top-line forward like Barabano as well. 
Is this a team where we're going to hear Mike Greer's name a lot come trade deadline time, expiring contracts for, you know, Anthony DeClaire and Mike Hoffman, Luke Cunning uh, is another one, Kevin LeBanc, who I think has been sort of out there on the market for, for a long time. How how active do you think uh, Mike Greer is this trade deadline? And does he look at this as another chance to to move this rebuild forward? And if it's if it's expiring, it must go. Is that the, the mantra around San Jose? Yeah, to, to, to some degree. I mean, yes, they, they will be definitely be busy uh, towards the trade deadline. You'll be, they hope to sort of be a team that, you know, accrues enough cap space where they can be a, a player in sort of that third team to get involved in some trades and, and eat some money and, and get a, a draft pick or maybe even a prospect in, in return for that. And, you know, a lot of the UFAs here are, are probably not going to be here next year. It's, it's sort of a question mark of, you know, are, does it make sense to hang on to a, a Barabanov or a Duclair uh, to try to establish a little bit more um, continuity in this team? And sort of, if you want to come out of this rebuild in two or three years, which I think the Sharks do, I don't know if that's realistic or not, but I think they, they don't see this going mm-hmm. for another five, six, seven years, then maybe it does make sense to hang on to Duclair. But um, you do have to sort of weigh what's best for the organization either in the immediate term or in the long term. So that's uh, we'll definitely hear a lot of conversation around the Sharks around the trade deadline, either you know from a, a, a team that can you can park some money in, or you know some of these some of these UFAs right. that you mentioned, uh, you know um, whether or not they make sense to keep keep around for for the uh, long term here. All right, <clears throat> November and uh, the action in November begins tonight. For the San Jose Sharks, as they face off against the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Curtis, thanks so much for stopping by today and and sharing your expertise and filling us in on uh, what's you know not the best story going around in, in the NHL, but it's a it's a reality. It's a it's a rebuilding team. Oh, let, let me ask you actually one one final thing here. I know that losing doesn't sit well with Hassel Plattner, uh, the owner. <coughs> Excuse me. The owner of the San Jose Sharks has anybody heard from Plattner through all of this? Not directly. I mean, I've, I've spoken with uh, Sharks executive Jonathan Becker, the president of the team, just about what Hassel's mood is right now. And obviously, he's a guy who wants to win. Um, he wants to win sooner rather than later. Um, and that might have been, you know, you go back to Tomas Hurdle. Um, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why uh, the Sharks offered him that deal was because Hassel thought this this was a guy who could, uh, you know, be one of those, you know, a stable sort of presence on that team here for, for, for the long term. So, you know, he's, he, I think he understands, begrudgingly understands what's going on right now, but, you know, he wants to win sooner or rather later. He remembers those, those long playoff runs the Sharks used to go on, whether it's the Western Conference or the Cup Final in 2016. He wants to get back there as soon as possible, but, uh, you know, also kind of understands that to do that is going gonna, gonna to involve some, some pain as well, for sure. Yeah. Okay, I lied. I got one more, too. Uh, I have to ask you about Joe Thornton. Uh, the greatest San Jose Shark of, of all time officially calls it a career uh, in a video where he's shirtless, which is very much on brand uh, for Joe Thornton. Uh, just your, your thoughts of the impact that Joe Thornton had, not not just on the San Jose Sharks. You know, I remember when when he went from Boston to San Jose, um, you know, uh, I can't remember who told me the story. He was he was in the dressing room and he was asking where the media is at, and someone pointed at, at Dave Pollock and said, "There he is. That's the media uh, in, in San Jose." It's a lot different now, um, but nonetheless, the impact that Thornton had not just on the San Jose Sharks but the entire hockey culture in San Jose. Yeah, it's immense. Uh, you know, you look at. Uh, the fact that the Sharks made the playoffs 13 of his first 14 years here in San Jose, uh, that the building was sold out pretty much every night uh, for over a decade. Uh, the profile of the sport was raised, you know, throughout the Bay Area. Um, you really can't put it into words what his impact was uh, here with uh, here with the Sharks and, and the greater Bay Area. Obviously, everyone knows that, you know, they came up short as far as winning the cup, but you know, ultimately, when you look at his career, you have to take everything into 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 perspective and and know that uh, you know it wasn't just him. I mean, it was a team that just couldn't quite get it over, couldn't quite get over the hump, but also uh, you know uh, made 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 Sharks hockey cool 
a, a genuine superstar on your team for for so many years. It's uh, pretty incredible when you think about all the all the things he accomplished here and and uh, what his impact yeah. was uh, with the organization. Absolutely. Okay, now I'll release you. Okay, great stuff, Curtis. Thanks uh, for staying on <laughs> overtime with me there a little bit as well. Much much appreciated. You be good. Enjoy the game tonight, San Jose against the Vancouver Canucks. Thanks for parking time with me today, pal. You got it, Jeff. Thank you. All right, so there's the uh, there's the latest from the San Jose uh, Sharks. Curtis Pashelka Pashelka is a beat writer for Bay Area News Group. That story is a true one. Where's the media? Oh, he's over there. Uh, that was the scene coming out of the uh, the two hundred four hundred five lockout after the Boston Bruins uh, did the deal with the San Jose Sharks. Uh, a a deal that changed the San Jose Sharks organization probably forever uh, and changed hockey in San Jose. Uh, forever now, Joe Thornton, part of the management group. Joe Thornton's getting into management. That's so cool with uh, Team Canada and the Spangler Cup. So that's awesome that uh, Thornton is not planning on riding away or sailing away into the rest of his life. Still going to be very much part uh, of the hockey scene, both in San Jose and internationally for Team Canada as well. So that's good news there. Um, there are a number of games on the board tonight. It'll it'll be another fascinating night. Finally, we have you know after a couple of quiet nights. Uh, where last night there were four games. That's okay. Before that, there were two. Mm, meh. Uh, Twelve games tonight around uh, uh, around the NHL. Uh, 7.30 Eastern. This will be an interesting one. The Toronto Maple Leafs, and man, there are a lot of questions swirling about this team. They face off against the Boston Bruins, who are without Charlie McAvoy uh, tonight. That one, 7.30 Eastern. You can watch that one on Sportsnet Ontario. Uh, Sportsnet West, it is the Stars and the Oilers, as Matt Marchese talked to us about in the first hour, Stars on the back-to-back. Who are the Edmonton Oilers? One thing to beat the Calgary Flames at the Heritage Classic. What happens when you face off against the Dallas Stars? We'll find out about that later on tonight. Also, uh, the Preds and the Kraken at 10 o'clock Eastern. You can watch that one on Sportsnet East and Ontario. And then on Sportsnet Pacific, just mentioning uh, with Curtis a second ago, the San Jose Sharks 0-8-1. Face off against the Vancouver Canucks. And this comes off of a big win a couple of nights ago by the Vancouver Canucks. Elias Pettersson with the hat trick over the National Predators. Demko turns in another great performance. Quinn Hughes with three assists. And Rick Tock essentially says, not good enough. We were still sloppy. Too many turnovers. That's not how we want to play. That's not Vancouver hockey. We'll see how the Canucks respond. Thanks to Curtis Pashalka for stopping by, Jason York, Tarek Al-Bashir, and Elliot Friedman as well. Uh, Matt Marchese, David Sis, Lance Kennedy, Jen Rolnick as well. All did their jobs. How did I do? Mm, a mediocre man is always at his best. Thanks so much for joining me back in 22 hours. Have a great day.